Okay, great seeing and hearing everyone again today. We'll open things up with a prayer and our spiritual exercises. Nomini Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre, Amen. By thy immaculate conception, O Mary, make my body pure and my soul holy. O Mary, my mother, preserve me this night from mortal sin. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre, Amen. By thy immaculate conception, O Mary, make my body pure and my soul holy. O Mary, my mother, preserve me this night from mortal sin. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, benedictus fructus, ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre, Amen. By thy immaculate conception, O Mary, make my body pure and my soul holy. O Mary, my mother, preserve me this night from mortal sin. And today's date, June 14th. It is the feast of St. Basil the Great, bishop, confessor, and doctor. Uh, the feast is a double. The priest wears white vestments. And we'll do a reading from the Roman Martyrology. The 14th day of June, St. Basil, surnamed the Great, confessor and doctor of the church. He died on January 1st, but his festival is especially observed today, since he was ordained bishop of Caesarea in Cappadocia on this day. At Samaria in Palestine, St. Eliseus, the prophet, at whose sepulcher, as St. Jerome writes, devils are affrighted. Abitus, the prophet, rests there also. At Syracuse, St. Martian, bishop, who was ordained bishop by St. Peter, and after having preached the gospel, was slain by the Jews. At Cordova, the holy martyr, martyrs, Anastasius, a priest, Felix, a monk, and Digna, virgin. At, at, Soe, at Soetians in France, St. Valerius and Rufinus, martyrs, who after many torments were ordered by the governor, Rictiavarus to be beheaded in the persecution of Diocletian. At Constantinople, St. Methodius, Bishop. At Vienne in France, St. Etherius, Bishop. At Rodez in France, St. Quinchden, Bishop. And elsewhere, many other holy confessors, martyrs, and holy virgins. Deo gratias. Very good. And today we'll do a short reading from the classic book, uh, The Glories of Mary. So I'm just going to do a short reading from chapter one, just the beginning of the chapter, just to give, a, um, give everyone a little bit of a feel. Uh, chapter one, section one, I'll just do maybe three paragraphs. So again, it's The Glories of Mary by St. Alphonsus, a um, classic book, must have for the library. Chapter one, Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy. Section one. How great should our confidence in Mary, who is the Queen of Mercy. As the glorious Virgin Mary has been raised to the dignity of Mother of the King of Kings, it is not without reason that the Church honors her, wishes her to be honored by all, with the glorious title of Queen. If the Son is a King, says an ancient writer, the Mother who begot him is rightly and truly considered a Queen and Sovereign. No sooner had Mary, says St. Bernardine of Siena, consented to be the mother of the eternal word than she merited by this consent to be made queen of the world and of all creatures. Since the flesh of Mary, remarks the abbot Arnold of Chartres, was not different than that of Jesus, how can the royal dignity of the son be denied to the mother? Hence, we must consider the glory of the son, not only as being common to but is one with that of his mother. And if Jesus is the king of the universe, Mary is also its queen. And as queen, says Abbot, Abbot Rupert, she possesses by right the whole kingdom of her son. Hence, St. Bernardine of Siena concludes that as many creatures as there are who serve God, so many there are who serve Mary. For as angels and men and all things that are in heaven and on earth are subject to the empire of God, 
so were they also under the dominion of Mary. The abbot Baricus addresses himself to the Divine Mother on this subject, says, Continue, Mary, continue to dispose with confidence of the riches of thy son. Act as queen, mother, and spouse of the king. For to thee belongs dominion and power over all creatures. Mary then is a queen, but for our common consolation, be it known that she is a queen so sweet, clement, and so ready to help us in our miseries, that the Holy Church wills that we should salute her in this prayer under the title, Queen of Mercy. The title of queen, remarks Albert the Great, differs from that of Empress, which implies severity and rigor in signifying compassion and charity towards the poor. The greatness of kings and queens, says Seneca, consists in relieving the wretched, relieving the wretched, and whereas tyrants, when they reign, have their own good in view, kings should have that of their subjects at heart. For this reason, it is that at their consecration, kings have their heads anointed with oil, which is the symbol of mercy, to denote that as kings, they should above all nourish in their hearts feelings of compassion and benevolence towards their subjects. Again, that's a reading from The Glories of Mary by St. Alphonsus. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Okay, so again, welcome back. We are at day two of the consecration. Yesterday began day one, and a very special day. June 13th is a Fatima day. It's one of the days that Our Lady of Fatima appeared to the three shepherd children. We're going to talk about Our Lady of Fatima actually in two weeks. So this way we're leading, it will be the Tuesday leading up to a first Saturday. I figured that would be the most appropriate for Our Lady of Fatima to get everyone ready for that first Saturday, which is of monumental importance. Um, also, June 13th is feast day of St. Anthony, and June 13th was the first day of the consecration that leads up to Our Lady of Mount Carmel, which is July 16th. So the 33-day preparation that we're doing is almost a, an engagement, a betrothal, so to speak, a period of time of getting to know Our Lady um, intellectually, as well as most importantly, um, our hearts, getting our hearts closer to Our Lady to give her our all, our absolute all, to consecrate everything to her, our internal, external, everything, our, our goods, everything that we own, everything that we possess, we give to her. And that special day, July 16th, if you're doing that with us now, that's July, yeah, July 16th is Our Lady of Mount Carmel. So a beautiful thing. I'm renewing my consecration. I did this seven years ago. I'm so passionate about it because it changed my life. I watched it change both of my brother's lives as well as um, my mom, my wife, and many of the people around me. So it's going to be a great one. Please encourage people to jump on the calls. If they can't make the call, we have on our YouTube page, Spiritual Strength Catholic. So search on YouTube, Spiritual Strength Catholic, and you can watch these videos again. Or if you didn't watch one, you can, you can watch it then for the first time. But today is day two. Uh, the other thing I should say is that on Thursday, if anyone's in New Jersey, I'll be speaking about Our Lady of Fatima as well as my brother, Father Gregory Zanetti, and that will be in Raritan. We'll post information of, on that on our Facebook page and our Instagram page. I believe it's all there in our, our Instagram page, Spiritual Strength Catholic, to search us, as well as our Facebook page, Spiritual Strength. You'll see us there. You'll see the logo. So I'll be speaking there as well as my brother, Father Greg Zanetti and David Rodriguez from the Fatima Center. So it's going to be a great event. That'll be Thursday night. The other point that I wanted to make that I didn't make last time is one of the things I'd like to do with this call, um, a lot of people have made the consecration, and we're going to be doing the formula of St. Louis de Montfort. I know a lot of people have done either the Father Michael Gately, uh, St. Maximilian Colby. All of them are great, uh, most traditional St. Louis de Montfort. Um, one of the things I want to do with this group is anyone who's interested in, in doing more after this, a lot of people say after the consecration, now what? I'm consecrated to the Blessed Mother now. Well, what I'd like to do, at least at a local level, is to build an army for Our Lady, putting together consecration groups, nation on social media. I really want to make this into a bigger project. And getting more involved, please reach out to me after the call. You could, you could email me at 
zspiritualstrength at gmail, and we'd love to help. We already have a small group of people working together. All we need is a few people, and we could really make a difference out there. I'd love to do more speaking engagements at schools and at churches. I'd like to have consecration groups that not only myself, but other people are running, as well as really spread the Our Lady of Fatima devotion uh, most importantly, which we'll get into, like I said, in the later call. So building a small army for Our Lady locally. Anyone who's interested in that, please um, let me know after the call. Send me an email. Contact me. So just a brief review of what we spoke about last time. And the truth of, and the truth of this was just overpowering to me. Couldn't stop thinking about it. We spoke the Sanctifier by Archbishop Luis Martinez. And, and he spoke about the Holy Spirit and Mary being the indispensable sanctifiers of our soul. In other words, the whole goal of Christian life is to be formed into another Christ. We need to be Christified. Why? Because God ultimately loves himself. He loves Christ. He loves, that's, that's it. You have the Father, the lover, the Son is the beloved, and the Holy Spirit is the love they share. The more we resemble Christ, the more he loves us. So we need to be turned into other Christs. Alter Christus, you might have heard before. And the only way that happens, the only way that Christ is formed, the body of Christ, the nativity, the Holy Spirit overshadowed the Blessed Mother. The Holy Spirit and the Blessed Virgin Mary. The mystical body of Christ, the church at Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit overshadowing Our Lady again with the apostles there. So the Holy Spirit fell not so much on the apostles, but onto Mary, who then distributed those graces into the apostles. That would be the theologically correct statement. So anytime that you have Christ, it's always, always the work of the Holy Spirit and Mary. Again, at the Nativity and at Pentecost, the body of the physical body of Christ at the Nativity and the mystical body of Christ at Pentecost, the two indispensable sanctifiers, the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. Her yes. She said yes. And that's what we need to do. We need to say yes. And that's why we make the consecration to the Blessed Mother. We need to Marianize everything. We need to Marianize everything in our life. We have to become other Marys. And the reason why, as we said before, the Holy Spirit rushes to the Virgin Mother. The Blessed Mother, you could say, is a lightning rod for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit sees the Virgin Mary, he rushes to her. She is his spouse. So, and we're going to talk about that more later. But very importantly, the more we are Marianized, we give the Holy Spirit more to work with. The more we resemble Mary, the more the Holy Spirit can turn us into Christ. I don't know how Protestants, I don't know how anyone can get around that. You need the Holy Spirit, you need Mary. She said yes. So we have to say yes too. Again, the truth of that is just overpowering. I could just meditate on that for a long time. The goal of Christian life is to be is to be another Christ, and that only happens with the Holy Spirit and Mary. Okay, so what I thought we'd do today, first, since today is day two, if you haven't done day one, remember we're going out of this book right here, uh, The Consecration to Mary by St. Louis de Montfort. This is from the Angelus Press. You can get this on different sites. It's written by Father Helmut Libietis, L-I-B-I-E-T-I-S. Um, again, it's Angelus Press, Mary. This actually has three additional meditations that the app does not have. The app, My Consecration, has the essentials of the 33-day consecration. But this, again, this has three additional meditations. I'm going to read from the shorter version on the phone. So this way, if anyone has not done uh, their consecration prayers today or the reading today, we'll do it now over the phone. It's, it's pretty short. We'll do it now on the call. So we'll begin with the sign of the cross. Numeni Patris, et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Day two in the initial 12-day preparation, according to St. Louis de Montfort. Examine your conscience. Pray. Practice renouncement of your own will. Mortification. Purity of heart. This purity is the indispensable condition for contemplating God in heaven, to see him on earth, and to know him by the light of faith. The first part of the preparation should be employed in casting off the spirit of the world, which is contrary to that of Jesus Christ. The spirit of the world consists essentially 
in a denial of the supreme dominion of God, a denial which is manifested in practice by sin and disobedience. Thus, it is principally opposed to the spirit of Christ, which is also that of Mary. It manifests itself by the concupiscence of the flesh, by the concupiscence of the eyes, and by the pride of life, by disobedience to God's laws and the abuse of created things. Its works are sin in all its forms than all else by which the devil leads to sin, works which bring error and darkness to the mind and seduction and corruption to the will. Its pomps are the splendor and the charms employed by the devil to render sin alluring in persons, places, and things. Daily readings taken from St. Matthew, chapter 5 and chapter 6. An excerpt from chapter 5 and in chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 15. Even the pagans do as much, do they not? You must therefore be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to parade your good deeds before men to attract their notice. By doing this, you will lose all reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give alms, do not have it trumpeted before you. This is what the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets to win men's admiration. I tell you solemnly, they have had their reward. When you give alms, your left hand must not know what your right hand is doing. Your almsgiving must be secret, and your Father who sees all that is done in secret will reward you. Prayer in secret. And when you pray, do not imitate the hypocrites. They love to say their prayers standing up in the synagogues and at street corners for people to see them. I tell you solemnly, they have had their reward. But when you pray, go to your private room, and when you shut the door to pray, your Father who is in that secret place and your Father who sees all that is done in secret will reward you. How to pray the Lord's Prayer. In your prayers, do not babble as pagans do, for they think that by using many words, they will make themselves heard. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be held holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debt as we have forgiven those who are in debt to us. And do not put us to the test, but save us from the evil one. Yes, if you forgive others their failings, your heavenly Father will forgive you yours. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive you your failings either. Daily prayers, Veni Creator. Come Holy Spirit, Creator blessed, and in our souls take up thy rest. Come with thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made. O Comforter, to thee we cry. O heavenly gift of God most high. O fount of life and fire of love and sweet anointing from above. Thou in thy sevenfold gifts are known. Thou finger of God's hand we own. Thou promise of the Father, thou who dost the tongue with power in view. Kindle our sense from above and make our hearts overflow with love. With patience firm and virtue high, the weakness of our flesh supply. Far from us drive the foe we dread, and grant us thy peace instead. So shall we not with thee for God, turn from the path of life aside. O may thy grace on us bestow, the Father and the Son to know, and thee through endless times confessed, of both the eternal spirit blessed. Now to the Father and the Son, who rose from the dead, from death, be glory given, and with thou, O holy comforter, henceforth by all in earth and heaven. Amen. Ave Maristella. Hail, O star of the ocean, God's own mother blessed, ever sinless virgin, gate is heavenly rest, taking that sweet Ave, which in Gabriel came, peace confirm within us, changing Eve's name. Break the sinner's fetters, make our blindness day. Chase all evils from us, for all blessings pray. Show thyself a mother, may the word divine, born for us thine infant, hear our prayers through thine. Virgin all excelling, 
mildest of the mild, free from guilt preserve us, meek and undefiled. Keep our life all spotless, make our way secure, till we find in Jesus joy forevermore. Praise to God the Father, honor to the Son, in the Holy Spirit be the glory one. Amen. Magnificat. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, because he hath regarded the humility of his handmaid. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, because he that is mighty hath done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is from generation to generation to them that fear him. He hath showed might in his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the conceit of their heart. He hath put down the mighty from their seat and hath exalted the humble. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath received Israel, his servant, being mindful of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Amen. Gloria Patria, et Filio, et Spiritui Sancto, Sicutorat in Principio, et Nunc, et Semper, et in Secula, Seculorum. Amen. Gloria Patria, et Filio, et Spiritui Sancti. Amen. Okay, so that's day two. Beautiful readings. The readings start off a little bit shorter. Again, there's three additional meditations in this book. The prayers, um, prayers, I, I believe, are relatively stable, and then somewhere around day 15, then you pray a rosary after that. So just a fair warning that we'll be coming up at a certain point, but you'll have a couple of days to warm up with these prayers. And eventually then there'll be a rosary um, that's thrown at you <laughs> uh, after that, which is good because that's ultimately something you want to be doing anyway. Okay. So um, the, the topic that I, that I really wanted to talk about today is understanding uh, more about Mary. So who is Mary and, and why do we need her? Again, we know she's an indispensable sanctifier of our souls. She and the Holy Spirit form Christ within us. Um, we can't love someone that we know, much less give ourselves entirely someone, to someone we don't know. The, um, the intellect precedes the will. Uh, you would never get married to someone without a courtship period, without a, without a time of, of betrothal. In the same way, before the consecration, it's very important we get to know who Mary is, what she does. Um, very simply, Again, as we said, we need Mary because of her relationship to the Holy Spirit and the sanctification of our souls. Uh, she shows us the Holy Spirit, right? She's, she's the one. She is God's rep. She is um, really the Holy Spirit's human representative. It is a personal reflection of the Holy Spirit. So when we honor Mary, we honor the Holy Spirit. We're going to unpack that a little bit more. But uh, basically, if you, you know about the four dogmas of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, they are that she is the mother of God. She's ever virgin. She was immaculately conceived and her glorious assumption into heaven. So that is who she is. So you say, who is Mary? You look at those first four, those, those current four dogmas. Then there's a fifth Marian dogma that has not been declared, but the church has been calling for it and, and we need to continue praying for it because the fifth Marian dogma, which will be a, a glorious, I'm sure that would probably go along with the, the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Don't just an opinion there. But the fifth Marian dogma would be her as the Mediatrix declaring, the Pope declaring her Mediatrix of all graces, the co-redemptrix, and our advocate. Uh, it hasn't been formally de declared, but make no mistake, it is as a Catholic. You can't say you must believe it, but to deny that would be very problematic because it goes against many papal statements, church fathers, the tradition. So, um, but, the, but the fifth Marian dogma, when it is declared, that's related more to her action. So first, who is the person of Mary? Then you look to the first four Marian dogmas. So Mary being declared the mother of God at the Council of Ephesus, there's a lot of um, heresy going on saying that Jesus, especially the Arian heresy, that Jesus was not um, consubstantial with the Father, that, that there was God the Father and Jesus was, all, all different versions of this, that Jesus was not of the same substance of the Father. And we know in the creed we pray consubstantial with the Father. So the Marian dogmas also protect the person of Jesus. So Mary was, was declared mother of God and declared 
when the, when the Pope declared that dogma, he didn't create something brand new. It was already part of the tradition of the faith. It's just the Pope made it official saying, now this is binding under the pain of excommunicate. You, uh, you wouldn't be a Catholic. You can't be a Catholic if you don't, if you don't accept that. So when you say Mary is the mother of God, that statement, theologic theotokos, which means God bear, that protects the divinity of Christ there. She is the mother of God because Christ is God. Jesus is God. A lot of times Protestants will say, well, you could say Mary is the mother of Christ, but you can't say Mary is the mother of God. Uh, uh, probably really unknowingly there, what they're doing is they're denying that hypostat the hypostatic union, that Christ is fully God and fully man. They do doing, by the way. <laughs> um, Protestants do accept the hypostatic union, but they don't realize when they say Christ is not the when they when they say Mary's not the mother of God, they are in effect denying the hypostatic union. So we never want to do that. We want to give Mary the glory that she deserves, her divine. So she is the mother of God. The second Marian dogma that she is ever virgin before, during, and before Mary took. Um, it's part of the, the tradition that Mary took vows of virginity when she was very young. She was a young girl. She, she took vows of virginity, which, which some in the first century or before, or before, I guess, B.C. at that point in time. Right, it would have to be B.C. So before the first century, there were some Jewish uh, girls who would take vows of virginity. So that has been recorded in tradition. She was a virgin uh, during the birth of Christ. She did not give a normal childbirth. She did not feel pain when she gave birth to Christ. Uh, Jesus passed through her as light passes through. Not, um, she, didn't give the, she, had no, she had no childbirth. So if you look in Revelation 12, where you see uh, the woman crying out in birth pains, that's so to her children, well, we're the children that, that Our Lady is crying over. Many times when Mary appears to people, um, the you know, authentic apparitions, she's crying. Why? Because, because we fail her. Obviously, Christ never did. So she did not have any pain during childbirth. Jesus passed through her as light would pass through. So she remained a virgin. Her virginity was intact when she gave birth to Jesus. So anytime you see in sometimes these Protestant movies um, about our Lord, and you see Mary in pain giving birth, that's not true. And that denies, again, whether they mean to or not, they're denying the second dogma and of course, after she remained a virgin um, her entire life. I should also add that the Protestant reformers, the reformers, the Protestant revolutionaries, the big guns now, Luther, Calvin, and Zwigli, all three of them accepted the first two Marian dogmas, that Mary was mother of God and ever virgin. So interestingly enough, a lot of the, the Protestants nowadays, they deny the their own tradition, if you want to call it their, their own tradition. Um, but, but that makes sense. In, in Protestantism, everyone gets to be the Pope. Everyone's their own Pope, right? So that's how, that's how it goes there. But Luther, Calvin, and Zwigli, all three of them believed in the first two Marian dogmas, that she's mother of God and that she's ever virgin. Not that that's why we believe it, obviously, but just an interesting fun fact there. Number three, the Immaculate Conception. Then a lot of people get confused saying Jesus um, was the one immaculately conceived. Of course, Christ is God. There's no sin with him. But, but the Immaculate Conception refers to Our Lady in the womb of St. Anne, who is the patron saint of mothers, and that Mary was immaculately conceived. She had no stain of sin ever associated with her. She was not, not only not born with original sin, but she didn't have original sin even in the womb. That's an important thing to know, that she, that she is um, immaculately conceived. And Interestingly enough, the, um, when St. Bernadette, when Our Lady appeared to her, she said that I am the Immaculate Conception, which we're going to get to in a moment. She didn't say I, I was Immaculately Conceived, which obviously we knew. Um, that was part of the tradition even before that moment, obviously. like It was within a 10-year period. But she said, I am the Immaculate Conception. So she was Immaculately Conceived. Again, the Pope did not make that up. That was part of the tradition before then. It was just the Pope officially declared it then, saying this is binding on all Catholics, that it's part of the faith. You can't be Catholic and deny this. And then, I believe it was 1950, the assumption of Our Lady, that she 
when that Our Lady went body and soul into heaven after her life on this earth. Um, so again, that's why there's no relics of Mary's bones or, or really anything like that. You might have a, a relics of her veil or different articles, but, you, but there's no bones of Our Lady because she was taken body and soul into heaven. And this is a representation of what our future destiny is that, okay, sure. We don't go body and soul to heaven, but our bodies will eventually be united with our souls after, you know, the, at the final judgment and then, and we'll have it with us. So for all eternity after that, after the final judgment, we'll get our bodies back. So Mary body and soul into heaven. So that's the four Marian dogmas that are, that are currently on the books that are officially church teachings. That is who Mary is. The fifth Marian dogma that we're praying for is the actions of Mary. And again, the actions of Mary, she is our advocate. She is the mediatrix of all graces, and she is the co-redemptrix. So this has not been declared, but it is part of church tradition. I should also add, let's see if I could um, copy and paste this over here. Um, I have a great cheat sheet. If you, if you type in, if you Google Taylor Marshall, um, Bible, apologetics Bible sheet, you can have all different uh, Bible verses that go along with different church teachings. So as an example, where um, Mary, it says on this topic, because a lot of, a lot of times in apologetics, we're, def we're defending Our Lady when we're, when we're speaking with um, Protestants. Well, here it explains, like in Luke chapter 1, verses 42 to 48, the angel says, blessed are you among women. Uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we hear about Mary's intercession. Luke 1, 43, Mary's the mother of God. So that's, that's all here. I don't know if I could get that, if I, if I could write on the screen, chat. Let me see if I could sa save this, with, share this to everyone. Okay, here we go. So I'm, I'm copying and pasting from Taylor Marshall's cheat sheet that he makes available to people. These are Bible verses related to Mary. So again, we have, those are some about Mary. Now here's the Immaculate Conception. So I'm sorry for people who are on the call. You can't see this here, but what I'd recommend anyone who's watching this video right now on our Zoom call, copy and paste this so you have this because a lot of times we speak to other people and we're looking to where can we find this in the Bible? We hear that a lot. So there are Bible verses that point to this. Uh, Mary being ever virgin, it's, it's, it's there in the Bible. As an example, when you look at her perpetual virginity, we see John chapter 19, verses 26 through 27, um, Jesus gives care to Mary to John, not one of his brothers. Uh, many Protestants who claim Jesus had brothers, well then, when Christ died on the cross, why did he give Mary, his mother, to John and not one of the brothers? It's a key point. Um, also, we know from 2 Samuel 6.23, Genesis 8.7, and Deuteronomy 34.6, the passage demonstrates that the word until in Matthew 125, doesn't denote consummation. Um, so, in other words, where where um, in Matthew, uh, Matthew writes, um, she she remained a virgin until until Jesus was born, until Christ was born. I'm paraphrasing here. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that she then gave birth after. There's other examples of the Bible that show that. And then also we see Revelation 11 uh, and 12. Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant. And it would be unfitting for her sacred womb to be violated. So, again, the church fathers knew about this. There's seeds of this in the Bible that people can see. Uh, even Mary's assumption in her coronation. So, uh, we see Genesis 5, Hebrews 11, and 2 Kings 2. Enoch and Elijah were assumed bodily into heaven. How much more fitting is it that Our Lady was assumed into heaven, when clearly she's the greatest of all saints? Um, and we have 2 Timothy, uh, James, 1 Peter, and Revelation. We know that saints will be crowned. So we could see aspects, even through fittingness, that Mary would be assumed and, and coronated in heaven. So it's there. But now to speak more about the fifth Marian dogma, which is important. This is The first four Marian dogmas, again, related to who she is. The fifth Marian dogma is related to her actions. We understand that she's our advocate. And that's, that's pretty easy for anyone to understand because as our advocate, she prays for us. But she prays for us in a special way. Again, as 
Christ is the head and the church is the body. Mary is the neck. She's often called the nexus. So as Christ's graces flow down to us through, through the neck, the same way our prayers flow up through Mary to the head. So anytime that we communicate with Christ, whether or not we know it, like it, or believe it, our lady is our advocate. Anyone. That's, that's just how it works. So the advocate is not that hard to understand, especially just understanding the communion of saints and knowing that she's the greatest saint. Um, the fact that she's the mediatrix of all graces, we know Christ brings all grace into the world, and Mary brought Christ into, Christ into the world. So not that difficult to understand there, that if Christ brings all grace to the world, and Christ came to us through Mary, and when God does something once, he does it like that all the time because he's perfect, then, then obviously all graces come to us through Mary. The only difficulty people might have theologically with that is, is that, and, and it's, not a, it's not a real problem, but that, well, what about before Mary was born? And in that situation, we just need to get our heads outside of time. Remember, we, we tend to look at time as a line, as from this side to this side, right? God doesn't look at time like that. He sees time like this, up, down, around. He can rotate it all around. He doesn't see time linearly like us. So, in one, and we see this in the bull, in Ephibolus Deus, where Mary was um, the, the bull of the declaration of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception of Mary. We know that um, in one and the same decree, Christ willed Jesus and Mary from the beginning of time. So um, that's, we, we know right there that she, you look, at, you look at it like that, you, you have to get your head outside of time. We think linearly, God's outside of it. If Christ brings all grace into the world, it makes logical sense that if Mary brought Christ in the world, she brings all the grace. Christ brings the graces, Mary brings Christ. So she's the mediatrix of all graces. Maybe the most difficult for a lot of people to understand is the co-redemptrix, because we know that Christ is the, is, the, is the redeemer. But co does not mean she had the same exact role as Christ did, obviously. Christ was the one nailed to the cross, but we know she participated in the redemption in a very, very special, unique, and singular way. Again, she said yes. She said yes, and we must say yes, too. So, co means with. She redeemed us with Christ, not in an equal sense, but in her special role. And it's also important to note that in the mystical body of Christ, when we offer up our sufferings for other people, the doctrine of redemptive suffering, we too are co-redeemers, right? We're, God delights in drawing us into his creation and his redemption. So when we offer prayers and sacrifices, we become co-redeemers. The St. Paul said, I make up for what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. That's where you could see some of the, the teachings of the of of co-redemption that we're drawn into. So if we're co-redeemers, how much more is Mary the co-redemptrix? How much more fitting is that title belonging to her? And again, this is not just, this is not just me saying this. There, all three of these titles, advocate, mediatrix of grace, law graces, and co-redemptrix, you can look up writings from the church fathers, popes over time. In fact, if you look up the first, so is the, the original schema of Mary in Vatican II. This is not in the, the actual documents of Vatican II. I often call this the greatest church document that was never released. So this is what the council fathers wrote before Vatican II, and then it was just wiped out. They literally just, after a year or two of preparation, it's literally, it's six pages of theology, and then it's about 12 pages of footnotes from popes, from church fathers. It was really, really extensive and basically calling for the fifth Marian dogma, and it was wiped out um, by, the, by the liberals and the modernists that were um, part of the council. That's another story, but the point is, it's all there. The theology is there. You really can't deny that Mary is the advocate, mediatrix of all graces, and co-redemptrix. If we're co-redeemers, of course Mary's redemption is, is greater than ours. She stood at the foot of the cross. And we know Christ had, Christ showed an example of perfect virtue when he was on the cross. 
Well, Mary too, when she was there. Um, imagine a mother being at the foot of the cross in perfect virtue, experiencing all her emotions in, in proper order for the right reasons, all geared towards the proper end. It's just, it's just mind blowing when you think about it. That, that, and then because she was so pure, because she's perfect, she experienced her, her emotions in a much more powerful way than we do. Because we have different buffers and um, uh, defense mechanisms. But Our Lady's pain was very pure. And her love for her son is greater than, than we have for our parents or for our children, for our spouses, which is mind-blowing. So she felt the pain at a much more intense level than we feel the pain. No one suffered. It's accurate to say no one suffered in the world. No, no creature suffered in the world like Mary. Obviously, Christ is not, a, is not a creature. He's not a, Jesus is not a human being. Mary is the greatest human being. Christ had a human nature and a divine nature. But Christ is not a, a human person. He's a divine person. He has a human nature. Whereas Mary is a human being. Christ is a divine being. So the greatest human being, the only perfect human being, the only perfect creature was Mary. Now, to take it a step further, as, so pray for the fifth Marian dogma. It's very important because that describes her action in the world and on souls. And remember this, that when we give Mary, why is that important? Because when we give glory to Mary, she sends blessings upon the world. And we need it. We need it bad. So we need Our Lady's blessings. When these dogmas are declared, the world will get grace that we so desperately need. We need to describe her action. And a lot of people worry because it seems like this might be a hit to ecumenism or it might cause problems with um, Protestants or even some Catholics who aren't quite aware of the, of the beautiful tradition that we have with these three Marian titles. Well, too bad. <laughs> it's important. Our Lady deserves the glory. You know, it's, it's one thing it's one thing to say it. It's, it's one thing for Mary to be who she is. It's another thing for the, for the Pope and all Catholics to declare this in faith. So we already do believe it as Catholics. We pray for the Pope to declare the fifth Marian dogma, that she be officially declared the advocate, mediatrix of all grace, and co-redemptrix. It's very fitting. But that's not all. We don't want to be Marian minimalists. We want to be Marian maximalists. So we want to give Mary as much praise and honor as we possibly can. Now, we know God is the only person that we, we worship and adore. Okay, there are old textbooks that say we worship Mary and the saints, but the meaning of worship was different. That's why you go to the Latin. Take the Latin. For the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the word used is latria, which is which is, as we know now, as worship and praise. Worship, praise, adoration, things like that. Latria is due to God alone. Not Mary, not the saints, no, no one other than God. And the highest form of worship is sacrifice. The holy sacrifice of Mass is offered to God alone. Now, Mary is intimately, intimately involved in the holy sacrifice of Mass. But Mass is not offered to Mary. It's offered to God. The sacrifice of the Mass is offered to God. So with that being understood, Latria is due to God, and Dulia is due to all the saints. Dulia is, is more like how we would term uh, our word honor. We honor the saints. Well, above the saints is Proto-Dulia, which is St. Joseph, who is infinitely greater than all the other saints as the foster father of Jesus. And above St. Joseph is Mary, infinitely above St. Joseph is Mary, who's due hyperdulia. So there's a hierarchy. Latria due to God alone. Hyperdulia. And then infinitely below God is Mary. Hyperdulia. Infinitely below Mary, St. Joseph, protodulia. Infinitely below St. Joseph, the other saints, and that would be dulia, honor. So just as we understand, things are hierarchical like that. So Mary is in a very singular and special spot, hyperdulia. So we can't say enough about Mary, and we shouldn't feel that we have to pull it back. She's not God. We don't, we don't offer sacrifice to her. But there are other powerful statements. St. Maximilian Kolbe used six very intense descriptions of Our Lady, or, or six um, 
Nowadays, a lot of theologians look at them as even controversial, but they, but they make sense. If you think the fifth Marian dogma sounds um, maybe strange, well, these six titles that I'm going to give you now, uh, they, they may seem even stranger. But St. Maximilian Colby, he had a good reason for all this, and it had to do with Our Lady's relationship to the Holy Spirit. So the six titles, the, the, the six Marian maximalist titles you could give to Mary, she's the spouse of the Holy Spirit, she's the created immaculate conception, and the Holy Spirit is the uncreated immaculate conception. And then there's four quasis. She's the quasi-complement of the Trinity, She's the quasi-incarnation of the Holy Spirit. She's a quasi-part of the Trinity. And she is quasi-transubstantiated into the Holy Spirit. So, again, we want to be Mary and Maximalists. Remember, you can never give Mary more honor than Jesus gave her and gives her. Okay? That's an important principle to remember with Mary. As we get to know her and to love her, never fear that you're loving or praying to Mary too much. The fourth commandment is honor your father and your mother. Jesus was a good Jew. He honored his mother. He honored his mother perfectly. So anyone who honors their mother on earth, Christ honors his mother perfectly with the highest possible honor. So never feel like you're giving Mary too much attention, too much prayers, or too much devotion. It's impossible. You can't outdo our Lord Jesus Christ in the honor that he gives to his mother. So let's go through the titles. So first, St. Francis called Mary the spouse of the Holy Spirit. And that shouldn't be too difficult to understand. Again, Mary and the Holy Spirit being the indispensable sanctifiers of our soul. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, the glory of the Most High. And, and that's how Mary was, and that's how Mary gave birth to Christ. The Holy Spirit came upon our Blessed Mother. So to say she's a spouse, the, the Holy Spirit impregnated Our Lady. So um, obviously that would make him, that would make her his spouse. That doesn't seem to be too difficult. Um, and spouses have the same name, right? Which leads us to Mary being called the created Immaculate Conception and the Holy Spirit is the uncreated Immaculate Conception. We just passed Trinity Sunday and I was, I was really meditating upon Our Lady's role and, and Our Lady's connection to the Blessed Trinity. And uh, we'll, we'll get to that. But um, really, when you, when you look at it, the Holy, so you have the Father who is, who generated, generate, it's a, you can't even use a tense in the word, generated, generating, and generates the, the Son. The Son is obedient to the Father, glorifies the Father through obedience, and the Holy Spirit is the love the two share. So the Father is the lover, the Son is the beloved, and the Holy Spirit is the love they share. Well, the Father and the Son's love is so strong for one another that from that love spirates the third person of the Blessed Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So in that sense, you could say that the Holy Spirit is the uncreated Immaculate Conception. Remember, Our Lady told St. Bernadette, I am the Immaculate Conception. She didn't say, I was immaculately conceived. She took it a step further. She said, I am the immaculate conception. And that bothered St. Maximilian Colby the majority of his life, where he would ask, who are you, O immaculate conception? Like, who are you? What, what are you? You are the immaculate conception. And then St. Maximilian put it together that, well, the Holy Spirit would be the uncreated immaculate conception of the love of the Father and the Son. Remember, husband and wife, when they come together, their love is fruitful and brings forth life, a child, the conception of the, of the father and the mother. Their love is fruitful and brings forth a third person. Well, the same thing, the father and the son's love is fruitful, spirating the Holy Spirit in all eternity. So there's no, um, it's always difficult to talk about the, the Trinity without slipping up and falling into heresy, unintentional heresy, being an error basically. But, um, you can't, so, so yeah, it's hard to d discuss it like that, but the point is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were always, they're co-eternal. They were always there. You never, there was never a period of time where the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit existed without one another. They're a triple relationship, right? It's a, it's a, it's a communio of persons, communion of persons. So um, the Holy Spirit is the 
uncreated immaculate conception. Mary is the created immaculate conception. Spouses have the same last name. Well, the same thing here. The Holy Spirit and Mary take on that same name, that of immaculate conception. That's not too difficult. It's the four quasis that people tend to have a problem with. But again, we're Marian maximalists. We're not minimalists here. We want to give Mary the maximum honor and glory that we could possibly give her. So um, St. Maximilian Colby calls her the complement of the Trinity. I'm going to use the word quasi for, for all of them, but he used the word complement of the Trinity. Really, it's quasi complement of the Trinity. Basically, he assigns Mary an essential role similar to the Holy Spirit. So Mary is, again, being the complement in that sense and calling her, and the other word that would go along with this is calling Mary quasi part of the Trinity. Again, she's not part of the Trinity. She's not a fourth person. But the point is, she has a very unique relationship. She's daughter of the Father, mother of the Son, and spouse of the Holy Spirit. So you ask yourself the question, or I ask myself, what does it look like when an all-loving God, an all-powerful God, pours all of his power and all of his love into a created being? That's what he did with Mary. All of his love. There's no, there's no block in Mary. Mary is totally docile to the Holy Spirit. All these titles that we have of Mary have to do with it. It's because of her relationship to the Holy Spirit and the Trinity. She is, she is completely docile to the Holy Spirit. So what does it look like when God gives everything to a created being? That's Mary. It would be accurate to say she was possessed by the Holy Spirit. Like you might think of a demonic possession when a demon possesses the body of a person. Well, you could say Mary was possessed by the Holy Spirit. And so that's why she has a very um, special role. Again, she's the only one that could claim being daughter of the Father, mother of the Son, spouse of the Holy Spirit. So it does, in a sense, it quasi indicates an analogy. In other words, it implies similarity, but also dissimilarity. So clearly she's not the actual incarnation. Uh, she's, not, she's not actually part of the Trinity, but there's a certain link that she has to the Trinity that's singular and unique. And we have to recognize that. And that's what St. Maximilian, I think, was trying to say there. Don't, don't sell Our Lady short. Really hold her where she deserves to be. She, she has an intimate, intimate relationship with the Trinity. That's why I would call her the complement of the Trinity, uh, uh, the quasi-complement of the Trinity, and quasi-part of the Trinity. Um, what other notes do I have with this? So in a sense, when you, when you look at it, when you look at it, how do you know the Father? How do you, how, who does the Father show himself as? The Father shows himself as the, the, the Father shown Jesus as the image of the invisible God, right? So the Father shows himself as the Son. The Son showed himself on earth. Well, how does the Holy Spirit show himself, right? That's the only person that we're not actually able to, that, that you don't see the overt manifestation, but except in the Blessed Mother. And that's why, in a sense, she, she completes it there, that all of that love, of all, of, all of that um, immense love, the infinite love, is poured into a finite creature. That's why we'll not, never understand. You know the book by um, the visions of Venerable Mary of Agreda, Mystical City of God. Mary is, a, is the mystical city of God. We'll probably spend all of eternity, of course, contemplating God, but we probably won't even have enough time, even with eternity, to, to see just, just how glorious she truly is. So it's a big deal. Okay, so we have quasi-complement of the Trinity. She's quasi-part of the Trinity. And she's, she's quasi-incarnation of the Holy Spirit. She's the Holy Spirit's avatar. So if you want to know what the Holy Spirit looks like, you could look to Mary. Like, how would the Holy Spirit manifest himself as a human? That, that would be Mary. Again, she does not have the power of the Holy Spirit. She is not God. But if you saw how Mary acts and what Mary does and how she obeys and how she loves, that's the Holy Spirit. Again, just like you see demonic possession, well, this is what possessed by the Holy Spirit looks like. So much so that the fourth quasi is Mary is quasi-transubstantiated into the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's the one that really throws people for a loop to say that Our Lady was quasi-transubstantiated into the Holy Spirit. But really all that is, when you think about it, it has to do with divinization. 
And the language of divinization is in the Old Testament. If you remember in John chapter 10, where, where they say, um, where, where, where the Jews said to him, where Jesus said to the Jews, is it not written that didn't our Lord say you are gods? So why do you question me when I say I'm the son of God? Again, I'm paraphrasing here. So in the Old Testament, there is language of divinization. And in Second Peter, we hear that we're going to be partakers in the divine nature. St. Athanasius and many of the church fathers have said, God became man, so man might become God. St. Thomas Aquinas says, by becoming man, he might make man gods. So we're called to attain a share in the Trinity. We're called to somehow to be involved in the Trinity. And Mary, knowing that she's infinitely above St. Joseph, who is infinitely above the other saints, who, is, who are the models of Christian greatness, basically. Um, we don't know what that looks like. We say, I is, where St. Paul said, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has it even dawned on man what, what will become of us in heaven. Well, it's the, it's the same thing with Our Lady. So if we're called to be divinized, how much more, how much infinitely more is Mary divinized? So in a certain sense, when you look at it, she's quasi-transubstantiated into the Holy Spirit. So those are six <laughs> heavyweight Marian maximalist titles that even transcend that fifth Marian dogma that we spoke about. So I bring that up because I don't want anyone to back away from devotion to Our Lady in any way. So she's the supreme peak of creation. Again, she was one in the same decree with our Lord, with the creation of the world. Um, Bonaventure, St. Bonaventure says she reflects, she, Our Lady, reflects the Trinity better than anyone in nature through the Holy Spirit. So it all has to do with her intimacy with the Holy Spirit and her intimacy with all three persons of the Blessed Trinity. It's great. As my brother said here, I know a lot of information. So don't sell her short. You know, shouted from the roof, rooftop. There are four Marian dogmas, and part of part of Our Lady of Fatima, we make reparation for people who, partially for people who attack those dogmas of Our Lady. So a part of being consecrated to Our Lady is to, I really want to just get the wheels turning. There's a lot to learn about her. There's Bible verses. There's writings from the church fathers. There's the theologians. Um, like we said, we have the writings of St. Louis de Montfort, Secret of the Rosary, True Devotion to Mary the glories of, of St. Alphonsus, uh, the glories of Mary by St. Alphonsus, the Marian vow by Father Minelli, all great books, Marian maximalism by um, an engineer, Jonathan Fleischman. Read about her, be able to speak about her, be able to defend those different dogmas, have those, have those Bible passages saved. So people ask about Our Lady, you could represent her well. So get to know Our Lady. And again, the, most importantly, it's not just the head knowledge, it's, it's, it's the, the deep spirituality, it's the prayer, Marianize everything, become another Mary. So all of your prayers, um, of course, we, we, we could pray to God alone too, we could pray to the other saints as well, but really remember Our Lady in everything that we do. Get in the habit of praying the Angelus, if you can, three times a day in the six o'clock hour in the morning, 12 o'clock noon, 6 p.m., um, Pray the three Hail Marys every day, the seven sorrows of Our Lady. Pray those. There's unbelievable um, promises uh, aligned with that devotion. And then praying the rosary every day. Work up to it. So Marianize your life. Learn the Marian hymns in English and in Latin. Why not? So be a Marian maximalist. A lot we hit on. And that, that felt like it flew by. <laughs> Maybe not for you, but it felt like I had a lot of material to cover. Um, we'll, we'll close it down with a prayer. And then, of course, anyone who wants to stick around and um, anyone who has any questions, the last thing I will say, back to what I've said before, anyone who is interested in joining our army that we're building for Our Lady, uh, not an actual army, obviously, but basically we're looking to get a small group of people together who want to have consecration, help us with um, speaking different places about Our Lady, especially the promises, Our Lady of Fatima, uh, consecration groups, um, and spreading just tremendous Marian devotion around the world, uh, around the world, <laughs> beginning right here um, in New Jersey, the New Jersey, New York City area. Um, we'd really love to have you on board. 
just let me know. Email us, zspiritualstrength at gmail. And also make sure you're following us, Spiritual Strength Catholic on YouTube, Spiritual Strength on Facebook, and Instagram. If you type in uh, Z Spiritual Strength, you'll, fi- you'll find us there also. Again, myself, my brother, Father Gregory Zanetti, and David Rodriguez from the Fatima Center will be speaking in Raritan this Thursday, uh, the, uh, Thursday evening. It's going to be a great thing. We're going to be speaking a lot about, obviously, the topic is going to be Our Lady of Fatima. The time is now. And as a group, we'll talk about that again in, um, like I said, two weeks leading up to the first Saturday. But today, I just wanted to give a hard push. Get to know Our Lady intellectually and spirituality. Marianize your spirituality and marianize your studies. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and imitate and the good resolutions, affections that you have given to me during this meditation during this talk i beg your help in putting them into effect my immaculate mother saint joseph my father and lord my guardian angel intercede for me amen thank you all for jumping on i'm happy to take questions if anyone wants to stick on i'm going to end the conference call here